0: Sziasztok, János vagyok. Közép-Európa első szóló podcast csatornáját hallgatjátok Magyarországról. Ez a Budapest.fm.
1: Hi, my name is Ray, and you're listening to the number one podcast station in Central Europe. Budapest.fm, podcasting to the world from Hungary.
0: No matter who you are or where you live, everybody, and I mean everybody, is addicted Something. I just happened to be addicted to Hungarian history. Welcome back folks, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back am with Budapesten. Here I am with my good friend Tom Bean, a.k.a. Bob Tamash. How you doing, Tom?
1: Very, very good. Very excited to be back in the studio with the wonderful Willie Wallace. And
0: It's very good to have you back. It's good to both be back. I mean, I just got back to uh, Hungary two weeks ago. Been settling in out in the suburbs, Lianfalu, a lovely little village. I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Um, but that song that was just played on the video, Minden Ki Fug, I found this... Uh, I didn't really find it. I was shown this Hungarian rapper from the early 2000s. He's not really even a rapper. He's a songwriter, a singer, a musician, apparently a bit of a lunatic, but an amazing, amazing, amazing musician. And his name, or his band's name is Karma. And I've been crushing that music all week. Mindenki Fug, that song, that's my favorite. Mindenki Fug is basically in Hungarian, Mindenki meaning everyone. And then Fug is like to depend. And it's basically the lyrics of the song are everyone depends. Everyone's addicted to something. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting concept. Is everybody addicted to something?
1: Hmm, I would say that it's probably healthy to have a, like, something that you're so passionate about that you would say you're addicted to it. But I would think that some people actually aren't addicted to things. And that what is what leads to their, I don't know, un- unsurety in life, maybe. So they're lacking in addictions. Or they replace... So if you don't really know what you're addicted to, like what you really want, you end up
0: replacing that with some kind of, I don't know, filler addiction, like drugs. I yeah. don't know but that might be. So aggressive. there's good addictions and there's bad addictions. I mean, it really depends. I think addiction is sort of a loaded term in and of itself because it's sort of foisted on you by what society deems to be an addiction. Whereas a brilliant musician or a brilliant... Uh, actor or a brilliant really any type of artist or brilliance in any field you have to be a little bit addicted to that field and constantly be searching for that feedback but then if you're searching for it in certain pursuits not even necessarily ones that are chemical because it could be a gambling addiction you know you could be the best gambler in the world but when does it become an addiction versus just being something that you're really interested in
1: When you're really interested in something, like really into it, you know, you enter like a different state when you fall into doing that thing to your utmost, you fall into like a high or some kind of crazy state. And so I think that it's, you know, like drugs, alcohol, it also like puts you into a similar kind of like altered state of being in the same way when you're super
0: focused on something. So speaking of, uh, I'm getting a little bit of a cotton mouth here already. So we've got these, the Cusqueñas, the beer from the Andes imported from Peru. Just polished off, I think this is the rival, the imported Cerveza Cristal. Cold as the Andes,
1: I think they say cold as the Andes. Cold
0: as the Andes, exactly. Um, and then this is Cruz Kenya, a dark lager, so might as well pop this open. Oh, that's the thing. The cristals it is a twist off. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me. I was so excited to have the cristal twist off and then I just got a slippery grip. Egashegadra, minden Mindenkinek, who's ever out there watching. And the Ray. I always find that to be the case, is that when you go to a country, there's always like two types of beers. And you can be like a this guy or a that guy. I believe I just saw a conversation about this the other day between the esteemed scholar uh, Tiago Alves from Portugal and uh, another guy who I don't even remember who it was. Tiago Alves the footballer? Tiago Alves the footballer. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about... Uh, Oh, right. He's not, he is an esteemed scholar though in his spare mm-hmm. time, I believe. Um, and he was talking about how in Portugal there's either Super Bach or you can have Sagres. And I was a Sagres guy. I don't know about you, but I made the caveat that I like the Super Bach in its stout, in its dark form. Mm-hmm. That's always, you always got to go dark,
1: light. I think there's always different winners. I was in Aldi the other day and they have a beer called the. Uh, Oh, it's like Agres or something. Never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I was reading the label. and made it in Portugal, I guess. Little, I was in Little. Little's a Portuguese company.
0: And they have like beers I've never seen before. Well, and that's all the, Portuguese beers. Oh, really? I think. They must have just signed a new deal with them. They're importing them like uh, hotcakes, I guess. But, but that's also another indicative example of what I was talking about, which is that you're either this guy or you're that guy or girl, this girl, that girl, or whatever of the 340 other pronouns there are these days. Yeah. But either way, you're one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's truly an identifier besides like gender or sex. It's something as simple as are you a sagras guy or are you a superbot guy? Are you a little guy or are you an Aldi guy? And, and what's the answer? Mm, homegrown. Homegrown guy. Homegrown guy, wow! Look at that fishing it out of his pocket. That's there why we you love go. you, Tom. You think outside
1: the box. When when I when I found this, like, are you a dark beer or light beer guy? I was in Guatemala, and my friends from college, his, they, our friends, always joke that he was a descendant of conquistadors. It was Rodrigo. Sorry, Rodrigo, but he uh, his family had the had hands in the national beer company of Guatemala, and. When I went to go visit him, was like, that was the only beer that was there. Just that company's beer was the beer that you could buy. And there was like four different kinds, and everybody drank one of the four different kinds. Oh. There was the light beer, the amber one, the dark one. Mine was the Cabro. Cabro means goat. The goat beer. And I think it was like the amber beer. It was amazing. But it, and it was really like it was the only one that I liked And everybody else said it the same. Like, everybody had their favorite, and they only drank their favorite.
0: Well, South American beer culture is actually quite interesting. It's uh, it's unique. It's very idiosyncratic. I mean, it obviously has a lot in common with the German beer culture, because there was a lot of German immigrants that came over to South America, uh, particularly in the 19th century and during World War II, things like that. Either way, they brought the beer culture down there with them. But now in South America, you go down there. I went to Panama. And my friend Mike's brother, Marshall, he was like the brewer at this brewery called La Rana Dorada. And they had like very unique beers that were uh, sort of just like fun to sip on. They weren't necessarily too fancy. They don't have like the same sort of IPA, like hoppy nonsense that we love up in America. You're not an IPA guy, are you? No, no, no. The hops, it's ridiculous how bitter it is. Uh-huh, it's, like, uh-huh. it's, it's such a not enjoyable experience for me. Well, you know, beer is one addiction. I said in that video before that I'm addicted to Hungarian history, and more than Hungarian history, because I do have quite a hankering for that almost, uh, well, a concerning amount of the day. But the, uh, the, the thing that I'm more interested in is stories in general, and history in general, and that is really what, what speaks to me. And I, th- I think that you were mentioning, uh, it was either last week or the week before, something about the idea of the cycles of civilization. Uh-huh. And what did you mean by that?
1: when i took a class in college about the history of rome and one of the things we covered was like how most civilizations i think there's some word for it it's a cycle and they maybe it was just in roman history but it it went something like from a monarchy to a i don't know So a monarchy to a dictatorship to a democracy and then back to it. So it always goes in these cycles. I I, I believe what you were
0: referring to was the the kiklos from ancient Greek. You Mm -hmm. sent me this link uh, a few days ago. It's a term used by some classical Greek authors to describe what they considered as the cycle of governments in a society. There you go. It was roughly based on the history of Greek city-states in the same period. The concept of the key is first elaborated by Plato, blah, 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 blah. And they basically uh, came up with their own interpretation of the cycle and possible solutions to break the cycle since they thought that the cycle was harmful.
1: Yeah. So the way, I mean, like the, to give a little more, bit more context to what that is, is like a, things start as maybe a dictatorship because there's a king, and then people get frustrated with the king because of whatever reason and then society moves in these directions where they get frustrated and they they come to a solution which is usually okay let's make a dictatorship or something and then they're like okay dictatorship is bad because we don't get to make any decisions right then they come to a democracy and then they realize oh well like a democracy is like too slow and it's not working so then they fall back into some cycle or whatever and
0: yeah well i think that that is more to the Uh, fact, not more to the fact, but it speaks to the fact that everything is sort of a reaction to something else. And you constantly have, you know, ancient Rome was one uh, reaction to the thing that happened before to the thing that happened before its own unique evolution and different. They actually went from the the Roman monarchy to then the republic, which was more of a representative representative government Mm -hmm. and then filtered down into Autocracy and empire through mm-hmm. emperors like Caesar and Augustus, and so on and so forth. So, you had the old Roman monarchy, then the Republic, then the empire, and then collapse. And the collapse, I guess, was sort of. And if you want to look at it in like a romantic perspective, people think of the monarchy as this sort of nostalgic, old, dignified thing that was based off the ancient Roman myths and the formation of the state. And you had these brave old kings that were eulogized by later authors and who looked at them as like a romantic fixture in the society. And then you have the glory of the Republic, which was the true first representation of the ancient Greek democracy, now manifested through the filter of Rome. And then that descended into the empire, which had its incredible highs during famous emperors such as Augustus and Trajan and Hadrian, but then also had incredible lows with the collapse and the sacking of Rome by the Vandals and the Visigoths, so on and so forth.
1: But wasn't, there was also a height of the Roman Empire, or I guess the Roman Republic, because there was still, what what was the highest, like, position during the
0: Roman Republic? There was still some kind of, like, hot... Yeah, you had, had like, the the Praetors and the Kestors and the, and the, the... that basically that's what caesar was and then he was up in gaul with all like the fighting his war and whatnot and then he was recalled uh back to come to rome because they said caesar's getting too big for his britches what does he do he comes in and he claims himself emperor you see it later in things like napoleon mm-hmm. uh yeah but it is the, 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 the where do you think we are in our civilization right now like do you think that we're in a downward cycle or are we cycling towards collapse
1: well, I guess it's hard to kind of apply that that uh, philosophy, right? Because now we have more, almost like mini empires, like countries are their own little mini empires. Like I think that was in reference to the Greek or the Romans, and that was like when it was their own little world. And so it's probably you can't apply the same thing. So we're, we're technically in sort of a democratic situation. It's a bunch of little democratic states, but you know it's up to be up to be found out how democratic it really is and. I think, I, I mean, I don't really know. I don't think we're necessarily going in the best direction. There are definitely better things that could happen. And, but maybe I think that's always
0: the case. People always feel that way. What did you make of AOC's tax the rich dress at the Met Gala?
1: I have some bone to pick with you about that because we were, I was just looking at Reddit and the, the three topics that you sent me were just on Reddit in, the, in my feed. But maybe it's just the, the algorithms.
0: No, I'm probably brainwashed.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. but what did you think of the dress? I don't know I, about the fact that it said "tax the rich" at a very rich convention of the fact that she stole it from some from stole the design from some like single house mom from L.A.
0: Did you hear that part of the story? Well, I didn't hear that part of the story, but uh, it's possible. But the, the 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 bigger debate I would say would be whether or not, um, like she was she, she Alexandra Asacio Cortez paints herself as this socialist working class hero who's standing up for the proletariat and the rights of the lower classes and here she is at a met gala which is $30,000 a seat. She says she got invited, she went for free. But the idea that she's going there and trying to be so controversial with her dress that says tax the rich when like really like tax the rich it's to me sort of like a meek message. It's like okay, yeah, like of course the rich should be taxed. I don't know if she was she's like trying to act like it was this brave moment of like uh and then she's selling those sweatshirts on her website and all of that. But then at the same time you look at it from the other side of the coin and like people are fucking talking about it. It did its job. She got people to like talk about this all week. So
1: Yeah. But what are they talking about? Are they saying that, yeah, maybe we should pass some legislation to
0: tax more of the rich. Yeah, like, no, th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she just like playing model UN debate club. Like yeah. no one it's it's sorta of just like let's not like get all worked up about policy and stuff like that.
1: Because, yeah, I mean, it's a complicated topic. Like, the rich are taxed, but I don't know. Maybe they're not taxed enough. Like, they evade taxes and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Now, look at us. We're talking about taxes. Who really fucking cares? Yeah, I don't
0: care. Yeah. But the, uh, the, the bigger element of that night, I think, was all those people wearing. you know, it's really boring stuff, and I think it's best left in the funny pages. Yeah, I don't even know what the Met Gala is, to be honest. I guess it's, <laughs> it's an expensive dance. It's like uh, to At celebrate dinner? the Met, which is a big bastion of arts and culture in uh, New York City. Yeah, I mean, that's all right.
1: I mean, there's a lot of place in the world for all kinds of things, but I mean, where does that $30,000 go to? The Met. So it's, like, a fund where they buy art and, like, support artists. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, perhaps they're also celebrating, like, stealing sacred objects from colonialized civilizations.
1: Mm, yeah, there's a lot of that. that there's happened. a lot of that. I mean, yeah. we're American. We stole the whole place from, from people.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the Europeans, they stole it first. America just coming up a uh, second banana. That's true. And then, yeah. But then you do, you do look at the cycles of history and everyone is sort of stealing from somebody else. That's sort of a continuous thread throughout the historical narrative is that one society yeah. is replaced by another. I mean, you go back into ancient Egypt and like what, you think the ancient Greeks when they th- came into ancient Egypt, they weren't stealing stuff, they stole the stuff and then someone else stole the stuff? So this it kind of comes back to what we were saying, like what's going to happen next?
1: And I don't know. I don't, I don't really imagine a future where things are like wildly different, like... I don't know, the United States is wildly different or I don't know, like what's gonna, what do you think the next like major change, like what's gonna be stolen? Like, or is that even possible in today's age?
0: Well, perhaps the the robots and the algorithms are coming for all of us and they're now harvesting data out of our minds via the cult of entertainment that has proliferated throughout society and particularly the cult of self-motivated uh, entertainment where everyone is sort of just like divulging these uh, data points, not necessarily now it's going to be a problem, but if you have all of this data harvested and memories harvested and eventually the computers get sophisticated enough to manifest something uh, evil, or are the computers a more pure form of judgment?
1: They're like a tool. So it depends on like which way you wield the tool. I think right now, like if you think about the biggest ones is like Facebook and so, like these social media platforms, like they're not trying to make algorithms that are smart at doing stuff. They're trying to make algorithms that are smart at being really good advertisers, like trying to get eyeballs on their content. And so like, I'm not that worried about those algorithms
0: taking over the world. They're going to be really good at advertising and like taking people's attention. But I think that there's a... Are they leaving us though, like in a prone and sedated and like brainwashed state? Yeah, but not everybody. Like, there's still like there's a pretty heavy undercurrent of people who are like, yeah, social
1: media, like, there's problems. Like, there's enough of people there that that's not going to be the end of the world. It's going to be the end for a lot of people, and I think there are a lot of people in that group that don't realize that, and that's kind of sad. So I think there needs to be like a lot of education, especially Mm -hmm. for like
0: young people coming into this world. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the next stage. Back in the Industrial Revolution, they were choking down coal, so at least we're not doing that. Choking down plenty of other things, but not the coal. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear a one-minute story? Give me a one-minute story. So István Örken, he was a Hungarian author during, like, the socialist times, 1950s, 1960s, and he wrote these stories that are being able to be read in one minute. And so this one... I'm just timing you opened it up to a random page, and it's called Embarrass the Richesses, which I think is what AOC was trying to do with that event. Mm-hmm. Good morning, man. What can I do for you, sir? I'd like to purchase a brown hat. Any particular type? Something sporty? Traditional? Wide-brimmed? Which would you recommend? How about this one? It's quite versatile. Not too dark. Not too light. Take a look in the mirror. It suits me very well. It's got your name written all over it. All the same, could you show me another style, please? Of course. This one will look just as smashing. And so it does. I wish I knew where one to buy. I wish I knew which one to buy. Why don't you try a third? We get a lot of compliments on this model. And it will look just as becoming on you as the first two. Indeed. And how much does it cost? They all cost the same. What about the quality? The quality, too, is identical, I can assure you. In that case, what is the difference between the three hats I trust tried on? There's no difference at all. I haven't even got three brown men's hats. How many have you got? Just this one. The one I tried on three times in a row? Yes, sir. So which one will you take? I can't quite make up my mind. Maybe the first. It looked very smart on you. Not that the other two didn't. Still, I think I'll stick with the first one. An excellent choice, sir. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy, to be honest.
1: I don't know if it was your reading did a great job. I was, I was enthralled. But that was a creepy story
0: for me. What were they talking about? Hats? He tried on three hats? Yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, they were talking about trying on hats. Or was it like something about the fact that they tried to make it seem like there was three different hats that you could try and there was only one. And so when we're walking in to buy things in the yeah, shop.
1: Yeah. I think it's like maybe capitalism. There's like one thing you're going after when you're, you're just trying to like, you know, retail therapy, like you want to buy something, you want to like enhance your life with something. It doesn't really matter what it is at the end of the day, you're going to forget it. Like you're going to forget what the thing is itself. You just went there for the, I mean, that's maybe my first take at it. What do you think? Yeah,
0: no, I think that's very provocative. It makes me think about how the idea of free will and how choice is uh, sort of irrelevant because when we're buying something, we're just buying something and it's not necessarily important to think about like which version is better. Or maybe it was more just like, almost sarcastic than that and it was just like yeah here's a story that's incredibly boring about a man trying on three hats and they actually wear the same hat right and uh
1: who do you think it's like more about is it about the man coming in the store and you know willing to leave like he you know experiences a ridiculous situation tries on three hats finds out they're the same and actually ends up leaving with the first one or the store clerk that's just doing whatever they will to sell it's probably about both but who do you think is the protagonist in that story the protagonists
0: I think is the hat Nice You want to hear one more? Yeah, let's get one more I will right, we'll give him one more chance Better not be about hats again Good good reading, great reading <laughs> This one's a two-parter Hello, Moloko Excuse me, Moloko V po ruski govrit I'm sorry, I don't understand Well, neither do I, madame <laughs> I want... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, has quite a
0: low voice. <laughs> she today. had a very deep voice. Oh, "Oh, this is a good one. We're an equestrian nation. A motorcycle stalls at a railroad crossing with a long line of impatient cars and carts coming up the rear. They can't pass it because a military convoy as long as my arm is approaching opposite from the direction of Fooded. The passengers of the motorcycle are a family of peasants. The father is about 40 years of age. He is swarthy and squat, square-faced, and is wearing black boot pants and a snow-white shirt under a black overcoat. They must be on their way to a visit, because the mother who is sitting behind him is also wearing her Sunday best, while their young daughter, with the two blonde braids perched on the sidecar, is all starched ruffles, laces, and tools. The earrings in her ears are set with light-blue lapis lazuli stones the size of poppy seeds. The man tries to jumpstart the motorcycle again. It burrs, lurches, falters. Why can't you behave? Why can't you just do as you're told? The man shouts at the machine. He is clearly very angry. He tries jumpstarting the motorcycle a few more times, dismounts, circles around it, and then kicks in the starter again. May the devil take you, he yells, cursing the 250 cubic centimeter Chepel motorcycle. And you're brood too, while he's at it. He squats and fidgets with the machine. He jump-starts it again, and this time the motor gives a steady roar. He brushes off the knees of his pants and mounts the saddle. Taking its sweet time, the motorcycle rolls across the railway tracks. The man's wife pulls on her rubber rim safety goggles. The couple sit up straight and proud, chins held high, as if they were great lords in a padded coach. The man grips the handlebars. His wrists are loose and his elbows are pointed straight out, the way it has always been since man came to be put on this earth, along with the horse and horse equipment too. 1956, Ezer Kielensas Utvenhat. The year of the Hungarian Revolution.
1: Whoa. You think that the year is significant, I guess? Mm, not necessarily. Oh, I thought you were saying. Two things stuck out to me, which I don't think are the main point of the story, but there were like two very... I don't know like juxtaposed I guess is the literary term or mm-hmm. just yeah. like out of place words yeah, yeah. juxtaposed. The, the, which I guess this might be a term but the train was this, the military train was as long as an arm or as long as your arm which I guess is just a phrase that to say something's really long but also something on her that was supposed to be big I think it was her earrings were the size of poppy seeds uh-huh. which are tiny
0: or was it maybe they were saying that they were tiny
1: oh yeah maybe you're right I, th- I, I read it I, I thought they were trying to say that it was like they were wearing their Sunday best, right? And oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, it's, maybe it's breast. going to show that they're the not. The
0: earrings in her ears are set with light blue lapis lazuli stones the size of poppy seeds.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, okay, so there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, I see. That sounds very pretty. Okay, I love that. Very good visual.
0: Very good visual. And he was fiddling with his motorcycle. But the hung- hung- Hungary is an equestrian ma- nation, mm-hmm. first and foremost. I think we know that firsthand with both of our uh, girlfriends. And uh, Your- lovers being uh, the horseback riders. Exactly. So is that what this is about? It's about
1: the loss of the, the horse in the life and a replacement with a
0: shitty machine that just breaks down? Perhaps. Or maybe the horses would break down as well. And this is just a classic scene that has played out throughout history, which is just a guy fiddling with his uh, horse or something. And now... But now the horses wouldn't really break down. Like yeah, that. right. I mean, perhaps they would come up limp, but perhaps they were also. It really depends. I don't know. A horse would just—you ah, would have to urge it, urge it to go. Probably, I guess. The 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 fact that uh, my actual fiance now—I I got engaged over the summer, which was uh, quite amazing, actually. And the word for fiance in Hungarian, which I continuously, continuously forget, is something along the lines of my fiancé but then I thought is fiancé so I made like a little post saying like uh, so happy to uh, be engaged with my village and like so like DM me and, or messaged me and she said uh, what's the difference between the DM and the message because I know where it's a message and not a DM they're all direct but either way she was like it's not a village it's a mess. Mm, that's the worst the old language I hate, when that, happen. hate it when that happens hate when that happens it happens. constantly happens, but either way, Hungary as a horseback riding nation, that is just so cool to me. I mean, that is like really what gets me juiced up is the idea of like the Hungarians coming in as like horse lords in the ninth century. And uh, yeah,
1: Dude, this is what I'm telling you. So I, I messaged you earlier in the week, but I'm going to take this time to tell you in full out that I think that there's a so much, there's a space. I don't know that many, that much Hungarian literature and I don't read that much, but I do listen to a lot of books. And I haven't been exposed to a book like this, but I want you to start telling all of this historical stuff you know. I love what you're doing, telling, like, the historical stories, you know, and telling us what happened. I want fictionalized, like, historical fiction stories about these epic Hungarian horse lords. Like, I want to follow one through kid to adulthood, (laughs) and I want to see what kind of crazy battles he went through, what kind of cool kingdoms he conquered. And just tell me about you know what kind of food, what kind of beer are they drinking in the halls?
0: Yeah, well that that's that's what I'm working on now is a collection of short stories from throughout the Hungarian history, and they're all going to have different perhaps point of views or narrative techniques. But there's going to be a, a chain from like. You know, maybe a story takes place in ancient Rome with uh, some Stoic philosophy, and like it just—you know—it could be just be a story about two guys going to an ancient Roman bath and talking about uh, Stoicism. Two, then going to like the horse lord era and having like a romantic story. Right now, I'm very, very fascinated by the development of the betyar, and the Hungarian betyar was like the Wild West outlaw that we have in America, and the betyar in the 19th century became this like idealized romantic vision of this man with a bayous a mustache and he sort of was like a robin hood he stole from the rich and gave to the poor some of them were really really violent and like terrible people but others like roja shandor he had a life like you would never believe and a lot of it has been made into this myth and we're not really sure how much is necessarily true but if you actually follow his life he was like a celebrity and he was Recruited during the war of 1848 against the Austrians by the Hungarians and the Hungarians used to not really like him because he's a bandit even though he's a Hungarian bandit But the Hungarians recruited him, Kosciut Lajos, to fight in their military band against uh. the Austrians in the war. So he was given like amnesty, come be a general yeah. of the Betjar group that you recruit and just go storm through the Austrians.
1: Where do you find out all this stuff? Like, where do you, where do you find out all this information? Like, not, I mean, the, the war stuff I could understand, but just like the, the things we may not really know, like how nice he was, how violent he was, just as like, running around as an outlaw. Like, who's documenting this? And well, is it a compelling medium? Or is it just like a giant history book that you're a little psychopath? No, Brian I went to, my, to read. my
0: local bookstore in Leonfalu which I found the other day, Leonfalu the girl's village is now where I live. And there's a bookstore there with just like, I went in looking for Bechiar books and the lady hooked me up with a, a book. Oh, actually, I found it random. It was kind of fucking crazy to tell you the truth. I was saying like all week to Alexa chewing her ear off. Oh, I'm like so interested, and this is going to bore everyone else, but I'm so interested in like the rom- the romantic rise of the Bechiar and the development in the 15th and the 16th century and how it's going to like turn into the the romantic conception during Rakotsi, because Rakotsi is really, I'm thinking like collection of short stories, yeah. and then where I really want to channel my long-term en- energy is into the Rakotsi Sabachak hearts, the Rakotsi revolution, 1700s, just so much going on, right. can't get it into now, but... Either way, that was what my theme of, of discovery was. And also, like, infused with the idea of, like, liter- literarization. That's not even a word, but the romanticization and all this stuff of uh, of that theme. And I walk into this bookstore. I get a coffee. I'm blown away. There's books everywhere. Beautiful. Like, such a cool bookstore. Real independent bookshop. I was amazed. In Leon Flew, There's not much. And there was this beautiful bookshop. And there, on the shelf, in the history section, like, the first book that I pull out is about... Uh, short stories written by famous Hungarian authors about brigadiers and jars in the Rakotsi Revolution. And it was just like sort of serendipitous moment, to be Is honest. It
1: written me. in Hungarian?
0: It's in Hungarian, yeah.
1: And you read it in Hungarian?
0: Well, today I was reading it in Hungarian, just reading it out loud, reading it to myself, uh, trying to pick up the cadence, didn't understand half of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read it through once like that. Just the practice as well, right. and now Google Translate is pretty fucking crazy. Like you go in and you just put your camera on top of it, yeah. Translate the whole book, right? Or she would be upset with you. It doesn't. It doesn't do a good job. It doesn't do a good job, but there is also like that's that's what you asked me before. Is like where do you find all that information? One of my maybe like secret sauce. Things that I do is I read a lot of Google Translate, yeah. and that gives you like all these like random nerds that are writing Hungarian history web pages, and not even just necessarily nerds, but anywhere Wikipedia in Hungarian. Obviously, you have a Wikipedia page about a guy like Bethlen Gabor, who was a very famous Transylvanian uh, prince in the 17th century. The English Wikipedia recognizes him, and it has some good information. But then the Hungarian Wikipedia, they have like a whole detailed. So if uh-huh. you can piece your way and parse your way right. through shitty translation. Right. Not that much fun to read, mm-hmm. but for me, that's where I learn a lot more of the details. Right.
1: And so this is where I would say that there's a little bit of a separation, because I, I, I don't know. My understanding of what you do now is like very rooted in history. Like, this is what happened. Like, this is what like, primary sources and like, secondary sources are legitimately saying about the yeah. events of the past. And like you were saying, like, your interest in Hungarian culture and history isn't necessarily rooted in the hardcore history of the thing, but the storytelling. And like the beautiful stories that we have from back in those days. And one of our favorite authors, Bernard Cornwell, I think Cornwall, Cornwell. Yeah, Cornwall. Maybe. Yeah, he has the he has the books about the Vikings invading England and he, he has a series about King Arthur in England. So it's mostly about like the English history after the Roman Empire and before like England was really formed. And it's like historical fiction. So it's not, the King Arthur story is like a completely different take. Like it's not historically accurate, but it's sort of, it pays homage to a lot of what King Arthur did, but with a lot of uh, what do you call it? artistic license. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is cool about what you have an opportunity to do is that, you know, you're investigating all this information that people don't know from the English speaking world. And it's like, there's so much beautiful stories out there. And I just want you to be the channel dude. I, I want, I want to read, you know, Willie Wallace's stories about the Hungarian history and like these crazy Hungarian bandits. Well, thank
0: you. I appreciate that. That's a, uh, that's pretty much what I'm like, I feel like everything that I've done is sort of ultimately in pursuit of this goal of being an author. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's like my ultimate maybe motivation as well as teaching, but really to like write something and continue to write things for the rest of my life. And it's, it's a skill that is like, I feel like I'm finally ready to manifest into something that I feel is worthy of being read. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas writing for me, I don't know how it is for you, but Everyone writes, but it's just, it's it's actually when you sit down and you try to write something that you think has like literary value and literary mem- merit, all of a sudden you're not like competing against yourself as being a better author, but you're competing against everything you've ever read, not necessarily in the sake that it's a competition, but in the sake that like... You read, you read mostly the good stuff because you're not going to waste your time with the shitty stuff. So all of a sudden, like, that's what you think. That's like, you have to be as good of a writer as Ernest Hemingway or something. And then you begin to maybe look at it a little bit closer and you realize that everything is subjective and you just have to speak your voice. And even from like an abstract level, people really relate to like authenticity necessarily moreover than like literary merit. But it's sort of a shifting pendulum mm-hmm. and you do, you do want to like be something that you publish and something that you actually have out there in a book, it feels like it needs to be honed your craft. Right.
1: Right. Right. I mean, what I would say is like the coming off the authenticity thing. And like, and you were saying, I don't know how I feel about writing. I don't think it's just writing. like coming back again to storytelling. So like the storytelling to me is a broader, broader aspect. And like for you, you tell stories through writing and you even do it through video as well. But I think what you're saying about being an author, like doing it through writing is more challenging than doing it through video because you only have one medium. Video, you know, you have visual, sound, like all kinds of stuff to influence. But when you're writing a book, like you have to do it with your words, which is what makes it so impressive. But like storytelling is like crazy, like prolific today. Like YouTube, like why is YouTube so compelling? Why are these videos? Because these people are practicing being really good storytellers. And the same thing with teaching. Being a good teacher is just being able to build a compelling arc around the content you're trying to convey. And I I took one class in college, which was like, uh, adventure, adventure writing, and digital storytelling. And there was one kid in the class who was just epic, very good at the class, and we couldn't really figure out why. And like, as finally, I talked to somebody, or maybe it was the teacher who just said, like, "Yeah, he understands. Like, he understands plot arc. Like, he understands storytelling. It's just something that comes naturally to some people." And he could just tell a story that had a really beautiful arc, and it just, you know, it had a you followed along the whole thing. Like, it wasn't like you know, it took you on a journey. And I think that's the, the compelling aspect of storytelling that's elusive and hard to do and like truly a skill, which is what I think you're chasing or tr- like you're trying to
0: hone. What do you think about this idea for a short story? A guy goes to the bathhouse in modern day Budapest. And he sits down in the bath, perhaps it's the Kirai bath, and he soaks in the water for a little bit. And then he makes his way to the sauna and he meets this sort of, not necessarily mysterious, but very stoic and pensive older gentleman with a mustache. He's got lines in his face, and he looks a little bit like time has dealt him sort of a, well, difficult life, if not necessarily a poorly lived one. And after a little while, they get the chatting. The guy says, why don't we go for a beer? They head down to a local shirazu, And then all of a sudden, they end up going... Up the hill to the top of the kishvar hedge, and there's sort of like this ancient gateway in the tree. that looks like something that the protagonist has never seen before. And they enter inside, and it's like a borzo, like a wine tavern that's like built under the tree. And everything looks a little bit old and a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the protagonist gets completely shitfaced. And the next day, he wakes up, and he's in the middle of some sort of 17th century storyline into Hungarian history in the Rakoczi Rebellion, and then he lives out a little adventure in that world.
1: What I would say is, what, I would say that actually it should start from the, the transition to this other world, whatever, it should start in the bath. So like when you're in a bath, if it's super hot, like you can yeah. get totally messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. could even, they could even go to a modern bar but it could be, you know, somehow the way it's told is the guy's like all foggy and doesn't really know what's happening. But there's definitely that guy, super compelling guy attitude, and he says things that will come back later. And then as this dude is in the old times,
0: he might meet well, the same dude. Or maybe he is the same dude and he's anyway. No, no, that, that I think that's actually a, a good point that you made. That there doesn't necessarily need to be a bar involved, the bathhouse in it in its own right is already this medium. I was actually thinking about how it could be like Because I was thinking, okay, you know, you could focus in on one storyline and get really deep. And like I said, maybe that will eventually develop out of like a few different short stories. You find a channel that you really love and you really feel possessed by. But then if you think about just maybe the bathhouse is a medium for time travel in general. And like the, the first story is this guy discovering the bathhouse. And then every time he goes back and it takes him to a new place, or maybe that's just one type of little time travel experience that happens. And all the stories are like just built around interactions that happen in Budapest with different people necessarily. Mm-hmm. And in some point there's like a metamorphosis into a different age. I would say
1: that there's the, the time travel thing is important for for the beginning, I guess to like get the reader into some, but with the beautiful thing with short stories from what I understand, is like you can skip a lot of the pieces of you know traditional story. Like you can go straight to the middle. So you could try one of these short stories where the guy gets transported. But the problem with that is that like if it's such a crazy thing at the beginning, you know, it's still gonna it's gonna take some time to build that story, and then you still have to tell a story that makes sense after that. So that's gonna become like a longer short story. So I think what's cool about short stories is, if I were to give some advice about writing, which I don't know why I would do. But like you know, use it in its component parts. Like make a short story about that, which involves time travel. But make a short story. You just start with in the 16th century with these crazy Hungarian bandits, and just be a boy that was like, I don't know the the horse, the guys like squire or something. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. don't be. Th- and and I think that's what's cool about the Bernard Cornwell stories. Well, I guess in the real story, he is the main. So in the, in the Viking one, whichever that one is, the Saxon stories, he is the main character, but he's looking back. So there's a little bit of a separation from the... And in the King Arthur one, it's just a secondary guy. Like he's not King Arthur, but he's telling King Arthur's story
0: yeah well that's also where like you don't necessarily necessarily need a narrative device like the bathhouse because the story the book is a person's bathhouse if you will where they pick up a book and they just want to be transported exactly they they don't really necessarily care that there's like a narrative tool to get there they just want to be there yeah
1: particularly with short stories yeah. yeah
0: short stories exactly
1: and because this i'm telling you like because this history is so novel just like tell the story like don't, don't even for the first I, I think that you know there's a, there's a wide swath of types of short stories you can write ones with a lot of like intro with the bathhouse kind of thing ones with something in the middle where you try and like tell a historical bit or something like you, you tell it from someone else's perspective, and you just like tell the story from the first, first person perspective as well you know you can try a wide swath of things and like you said I think a, a path will show up
0: that what's it start? like uh, owning a puppy dog
1: It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So my girlfriend Vivian was in London visiting some friends this week. So it was just me and the puppy dog. And uh, it was so much fun. Just got to wake up in the morning, let her outside, let her outside, play around a little bit. And then I worked all day. She would just sleep. And then we would go to the dog park, 6 p.m. every day so cool to see how pumped a dog is when you build a routine. It's like, oh, it's dog park time? Yeah, it's like jumping around <laughs> going nuts, like super excited, you know, sleeping all day. And then go to the dog park, runs like crazy for two hours with a bunch of dogs. And I just kind of like sp- speak some Hungarian to some people, you know, mess oh, around. let's a hear a little
0: bit. bit of Hungarian. Let's hear a little oh, bit of Hungarian. akarok
1: <laughs> Angolul. <Hungarian. laughs> again, again. Mert ez nehéz nekem beszél,
0: beszélek. Nem, nem, nem. A nagyon jó, nagyon jó. Nagyon jobban mint az előtt. Better than before.
1: Ja, ja kicsit. De minden héten 2000 óra is most. Ja. Most
0: több, Tóban minden hét. Igen, igen. Nem. Igazából Orsi azt mondta: uh, "Oh, Tom, nagyon, nagyon okos, okos." Igen, jó, 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 és és igen, igen, és most azt hiszem uh, nagyon érdekess nekünk beszélni magyarul. Yeah. M- igen, nagyon érdekess, nagyon nagyon érdekess, jó, jó nekünk, jó nekünk, és yeah. mert a általában új a uh, dolog a uh, feunk uh, mikor besselung ui ui nyál aha aha ui ui, ui, utlet. ui, utlet. Uh-huh. ui oh, utlet. Utlet idea aha jó, jó igen köszönöm szépen jó tanár
1: what i was going to say which I'll say in English about the dog park. It's just that uh, there was a guy on Wednesday showed up. He like cracked a beer, a little cherry beer. And I was like, oh, I get you <laughs> He was like, oh, it's, it's like hot week, hot weekend. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the next day I was so pumped. I was like, no way. The guy the guy brought a beer. I didn't know people would bring beers. So I went, got like a handful of beers before the dog park. And I went there and I cracked one. And then the guy was like, oh, hey, you got a beer? And I was like, yeah, it was a good idea. And then I was off in the corner just with the dog. And then I opened another one. And then I went back and he was like, oh, you got a second beer. And I was like, yeah, it's a second beer. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then I started to realize it might not be like in a two or three beer kind of dog park, but that's okay. It's ah. okay. It might turn it into one of those. Yeah. What dog park isn't a two
0: or three beer type of dog park at the end of the day? First one was a rattler anyway. You know, yeah. <laughs> was come, on. come on. Come on. Come on come on what do you think about how this uh format's gonna go i feel like we've just started to shake the dust off sort of from the the spring and like we're getting back into this podcast flow but i think what we really want to do going forward is to incorporate as many people as possible to come and pop in in the stream with us and that'll be that for me that seems like it could be really fun to like get some prompts from outside and just interact with people and make it sort of a live experience i like the idea of getting
1: prompts from outside i like the idea of having having some content set up for the like for the episode and bringing some other people's insight and like we said at the beginning it's all about like playing this tennis match right we're hitting the ball back and now i want to bring some people in and hit the ball back yeah. see what they see what
0: they got to say about some of these topics that we throw out there And like keeping it loose as possible would be nice, but also it could be cool to have some like theme days. Like we, you know, tell people about it a week before and we say to you, come on, come join the podcast, come join the live stream, interact with us, engage. And we'll talk about something perhaps um, within a certain niche of like philosophy or within a certain niche. And it could be like maybe just a prompt. Like we say, there's going to be a segment this week and bring your questions about History, or bring your questions about movies, or bring your questions about sports. Yeah, and then we could really get some cool uh, debates going. Maybe we even give out a list of ten topics, and you can just pick whichever one you want.
1: I like that. I like that. The car talk. You ever listen to car talk on NPR? Amazing show. Just What's two car dudes, talk? two dudes who know a shit ton about cars. People call with a question about their car. And the dude's just diagnosed the problem. Like, I mean, I mean we're, not, we're not that good, nor are we the experts, I don't think, in anything. But maybe
0: about cars, we could do it. Yeah, yeah. Just give people really shitty advice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's cool about that show is that just, like, you know, people have something to say when they show up. And it just, like, it makes it go. So nice. I like the idea of prompting and, you know, st- sticking in our wheelhouse where we can. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, having prompts will help us research ahead of time maybe a little bit.
0: Well, I could, see, I could see that being a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really excited to engage the audience and to, to talk to people and really, you know, step into a new realm of uh, social media in the sense that like social media where it's just this monotonous like display of expression over and over again, it can get a little bit uh, tiring and it's better to be able to like truly interact with someone and see that there is something that you can actually, the technological divide, you always think about it like does technology sanitize interpersonal relationships and perhaps if you're gonna choose between the two on a desert island, you would always prefer to be amongst people than computer screens. But that being said, today in this world where we have the access to like talk to people and engage different perspectives from around the world, it's so cool to be able to bridge that through technology and use it to its like ultimate manifestation, which is empowering human discovery and experience.
1: Oh, 100%. Oh my God, I couldn't, couldn't agree so much more. Let's do that. Let's let's turn this podcast into that. But like, let's let's explore ways to um, you know, create
0: genuine digital interaction today, like with the different tools that we have. And also even thinking about not necessarily the audience, although of course anyone's welcome to join at any time, but like thinking about channeling different people from around the world who can come into that third uh, so- spot and just like talk about whatever they really want to bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love
1: it. And yeah, there's, there, I mean, we don't know what it's going to be. Let's, let's, uh, let's just let this thing grow into that, whatever it will be
0: whatever it will be will be shall we end with a uh, hungarian poem please please right. enlighten me <laughs>
1: do you will... pick them ahead of time no, or no, you, no, no. do you do you just open this <laughs> this one's very 500 long. page book to a <laughs> random
0: page this one's very long it's Awela Shibardok. i actually read it for ray a, a few months ago but it, let, let's go with something shorter that's like a whole journey and it's going to let's do one that we can read the hungarian and then read the english and then we can have a quick like maybe three to four minute discussion call it quits and start our friday night right maybe end up going to sleep who knows maybe getting beers maybe ending up in a bathhouse really hey wouldn't put anything past the two of us you know what i mean let's see how the poem goes first all right that one that length looked good yeah this is arangianos And it's John Gold, Johnny Gold, one of my favorite poets. His poem ah, Waleshi well, Bardok" the Bards of Wales. I actually made a Walking with Willie episode about this once. It's about a 13th century Welsh king, and it's used as an allegory for the Austrians. Fantastic, fantastic ballad. I kind of want to read. What, isn't that up? one kind of long? Or no? We can read. No, it. no, 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 no. It's too long. It's too long. No, this it's one. Isn't this one kind of long? No, no. Come on, this is a okay, one page okay, okay, either okay. way. Okay, here's the Hungarian first. Don't make fun of me, Hungarian poetry. It's you know. Ki nekem, alma almaimban, gyakorta megjelens, koran elhuin, baraton, Vanel shirifadon, mutatni hol pihens? Oh, mertiaba, kutmar, ahit nekem eshet, hogy megtan eljönvens. Eljun én, mit jelentes, ellenmondó beszéd, igen ahia halalod, ki mondani haboz? Hojja nehez küvecek, Nadjon sokon ne esek. Savaban ingados. Maid elragadja tülem. Amara dotrement, Maid amidun elelant. Tavor lorol vissacilant. Tavor lor vissacilant. Meged chalako feint. Han bu latom. Ejente kepedet. And basically, what I guess this means, Yanos Arani, Aranyanos, Memorials, Johnny Gold. How often, as I'm dreaming, your figure shimmers by. My friend, too early taken, your grave unmarked, forsaken, who knows now where you lie? in vain now come the rumors of your return i know the meaning of such fictions i count their contradictions and gently bid them go i know the hesitations the stutterings of each poor tongue-tied group whose chatter means to delay the matter but stumbles into speech their stumbling is no comfort once they have all withdrawn the rumors come to banish hope which is sure to vanish with yet one more false dawn nightly i see your image In others sorrowing, so many sad revenants, death's shadowy lieutenants, it is not life they bring.
1: Death's shadowy lieutenants.
0: It is not life they bring. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Aranyanosh. Aranyanosh. I guess that sort of dictates what kind of night it's going to be.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Looks
0: like we're ending up in a bathhouse. All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed the show. I think uh, that was a platform from which to jump going forward. And I'm very excited to do it with you. I don't think we even have a sip left, but and, uh with the, with the proverbial beer. With the proverbial beer. Shabbat Shalom, Egeshegedra. Enjoy your Friday nights, enjoy your weekends, and we shall see you soon. Ciao. Much love, everybody.